Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And in continuation of the chapter where we left off last week in verse 20, what's happening is so beautiful in Ephesus. Uh, uh, remember, they have all these people, they practice magic, and they brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And it was valued at a, a lot of money. High, 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 high value. In verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And don't forget, anytime there is victory in the Lord, there, don't be surprised if opposition comes. In fact, you can expect it. It's to be expected. It's not, it shouldn't come as a shock. It shouldn't come as a surprise, especially given what we've learned thus far in the book of Acts. We've seen a lot of victories and in, in the face of it, opposition. And then we see more victory. We see opposition, even when, even when death happens, such as beautiful Brother Stephen. You know, oh, death, where's your sting? You say, oh, he, there's no victory. He died. I praise the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Oh, victory, where's your sting? You see, we, uh, carnally speaking, yeah, where was Stephen's victory? Spiritually speaking, he's in paradise. Our beautiful brother, he's in paradise. So, you know, we have to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives and to teach us these things and to be heavenly minded. I've, I've had people tell me before, elders, pastors, you know, in private conversations, we have these, you know, I was like always inquisitive, asking these questions. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then, you know, it was like, you know, so finally one of the guys, they told me, oh, you know, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I was like, what? And I started to think about it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. We're supposed to be heavenly minded. And you know what else? We are no earthly good because this place doesn't belong to us. This isn't our home. We're just passing on by. That's what's happening in our lives. And we have fishing poles too. Fishers of men, fishers of women, young and old. So where we left off last week in continuation, let's kick off in verse 21. It says, when these things were accomplished. Remember, we see the, the birth of the church in Ephesus so far. You know, beautiful, beautiful things are happening when the people were freaked out unto the Lord. That's why it blows me away. Sometimes people say, you know, just love people to Jesus. And they have their little kumbaya voice, you know. Just Let's just love. Let us just love. Yeah, that's I'm all for love. But what happens when you tell people about the second coming of Jesus Christ? What happens when you tell people about straight up hell on earth? And how there's a coming antichrist who's going to kill Christians and kill Jews? What happens when you tell people about the events, the, the plagues of the last days? The pestilence, more wars, more rumors of wars, more earthquakes in diverse places. And people are going to be freaked out. And so, you know, in the last days, you know, people are going to be freaked out to Jesus. Praise be to the Lord. They're coming to Jesus. I was freaked out to the Lord. You know, somebody told me about the second coming of Christ. I was like, what? I didn't even understand what, still what it means. So I asked, you know, well, what do you mean the second coming? Said, oh, yeah, you know, the, oh, hell's going to break loose. There's going to be. And I was like, what? I thought this was like, you know, supposed to bring comfort. You're telling me about like 
the world being blown up? He's like, well, not in those terms, but yeah, you know, look, let's look at these passages. Like, what? So I was freaked out to the Lord. And then, you know, I was lukewarm. I played games with the Lord. I came to Christ. I played games with Him. I didn't fear the Lord. I loved Him, but I didn't fear Him. So I was freaked out to Jesus Christ. And then because I was lukewarm, I was freaked out of myself. I was afraid of my own carnal nature, my own carnality. It's like a threat within. Then you read scripture and the Holy Spirit teaches us, wow, you know, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Victory over self. Self-control, exercising the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, malice, anger, wrath. Don't be given over to these things. It's so cool how the Lord works and teaches us these things. All these people say, oh yeah, let's just love this person to Christ, which is fine. You can show a person love. And if they come to Christ, praise be to the Lord. But you know, when you go through the Word of God, there's some passages that are really beautiful. Like, you know, sweet little butterflies in my heart. You know, it's like, wow, this is so lovely. You know, little birds landing on daffodils. Little tiny birds landing on daffodils. And it's like, wow, it blesses my socks off. But then I turn the page and there's other passages like, whoa, this freaks me out. And you know what? Praise be to the Lord. It also gives me peace. Because in my heart of hearts, it's like, wow, Lord, you know what? I don't want to play games with you. Like I did in my foolish days. You know, thank you, Lord, that you you didn't come then. You were long-suffering then. And you know what? I I learned my lesson, Lord. That's what's so cool about the long-suffering of the Lord. Yeah, you know, it's sad. Because he's long-suffering. And you know, for some cases, people in your lives, you're long-suffering for them. And praise be to the Lord that he is. Everybody says, oh yeah, the rapture of the church, I can't wait. You know, let it come now. And you know, there are aspects, right? I see things, it's like, wow, Lord, come quickly because this world is getting crazy. But then what about that one soul who just doesn't know? What about that one soul who maybe does know but is lukewarm and needs to be freaked out? So yeah, you know, love a person to Jesus, but you know, a person can be freaked out to Jesus too. Just like what happened in Ephesus, a beautiful, beautiful church. So let's look what happens here in verse 21, verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit, you know, uh, what I love about this, he has such purpose. Just as it says purpose in the spirit, but like, you know, his walk is just, like he's committed to his walk. You know, it's like, it's so beautiful because, you know, he has such purpose, but it's given to him by the spirit. The Lord is directing his steps. Purpose in the spirit. When he had passed through Macedonia and to Achaia, and to, uh, Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. This is where he's arrested. We're going to study this in future chapters in the book of Acts. It's sad because he gets arrested. And like, nobody's with him. He's all alone. And you see Paul, he has these people surrounding him, you know, people who have fallen in love with him. Men, women, young, old. All these people who fall in love with him. Why? Because he's teaching them. He's guiding them. He's showing them the way. He's teaching them. Just like Paul says later on in future books, 
He says, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, very, very special, this man. Very, very immensely special because he's a warrior. But he also has such tender, tender, tender care for the lambs, for the sheep, for the flock of God. And it's so beautiful because the people love him, except when he gets arrested, he's all by himself. Let's look at what happens here. Uh, I must also see Rome, where this is where he gets arrested. Well, later on, but when his ref- what happens when he goes to Rome, he gets arrested. Well, he, you know, he, he exhorts the church, but then he gets arrested. We're going to talk about that in future chapters. But in verse 22, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. The minister is diakonos here in the Greek, diakonos. It's to service as, serve the Lord as a deacon, under the capacity of a deacon. And it says, who were the ones? Timothy and Erastus. You see, Timothy and Erastus, those were the ones who were surrounding him. Those were the ones who were with him. You remember uh, Lois and Eunice, their beautiful ministry unto little Timothy. We talked about that when we you know, started a couple chapters ago. As a little side note, deacons, diakonos, females can be deacons as well. That's from that's Phoebe in Romans 16. Diakonos, it's the same word in the Greek, deacons. So females can be as deacons. It's when you get into elders and pastors, where it's males. But females can be deacons. Females can be Bible teachers unto other females. It's so beautiful to see this in the Word of God. It's like, wow, you know, you see order. Order. And so let's look what happens here to him. Uh, 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 so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia. That's Ephesus. Ephesus was like the uh, Asia Minor. And, and you look at the uh, uh, early church maps and you see that Asia Minor included like these, these regions surrounding, uh, uh, or Ephesus was in these regions, the, the, the Roman Empire. It included these regions, which was called the Asia Minor. It says, it stayed in Asia for a time. So uh, Paul sends Timothy and Erastus out, but then, you know, he, he stays back in Ephesus. You know what's cool about this? You see Timothy's maturity. Because remember, he left home. You know, he, uh, uh, Timothy's parents, you know, Paul, you know, we've gone as far as we can in teaching Timothy. And the Lord prophesied, there's a prophecy over him that he was going to serve the Lord in this capacity. So, you know, we're maxed out. You know, can, can you take Timothy under your wing? So what does he do? Paul takes Timothy under his wing. Has him circumcised. And he gets circumcised. Actually, he circumcised him. And then all of a sudden they go and they're able to minister, able to go into the synagogues. As was Paul's custom. And they wouldn't say, oh, you know, get this, get this Greek out of here. He's not a Jew. He has to go over here with these other Greeks, these non-believers, but he can't be here with us. So he, he was circumcised. Timothy. And so all of a sudden, you know, as was custom to Paul, he would go into the synagogues, straight up to the hornet's nest, right inside, and teach and persuade. And sometimes people hated him, but it was so beautiful. You see, Timothy, he has, you know, firsthand experience in this, being right next to Paul. Don't forget, Timothy's a future pastor, except here he's serving as a deacon. So you see, Timothy, his little boy, and you see his, his mom and his grandma, you know, they're kind of, you know, his, his spiritual covering, so to speak. Teaching him, protecting him, 
And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they, they've reached the extent of, you know, their, you know, what they could do, so to speak. And he goes into Paul. And then all of a sudden with Paul, and then he's a deacon now. And instead of being with Paul, Paul says, okay, I'm sending you out. You see his growth, his maturity. A lot of times, you know what Satan wants in the life of a Christian? He doesn't want you to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian, he wants you to be a baby. He wants you to be on milk. He wants you to be on diapers because you are zero threat to him. Maybe a little threat, but nothing major. But you see Timothy. Oh, he's going to be a future pastor, but you see his growth. You know, from uh, a little boy and then to like a regular boy. <laughs> and then like, you know, a teenager, young man. And then like he's young, you know, I don't know, maybe like 15. I'm just, I don't know. It's not really clear, but I'm just... Saying maybe 15, and he goes under Paul's wing. And all of a sudden, you know, he's with Paul for a time, a period of time. And then now he's like a deacon, straight up deacon. Diakonos in the Greek. And later on, pastor. Wow, it's so beautiful just to see his growth. Like, you know, it's like, it, 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 like in these, like, you know, you have the first and second Timothy where he's already a pastor. And Paul's writing to him about, you know, what to, how to, uh, what to look for in elders, people in ministry. But what's so cool are these little subtexts, like we're seeing here in the book of Acts. You see Timothy's growth, you know, little boy. And then boom, 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 pastor. And here, deacon. Not quite pastor. Not, not saying pastors are like, you know, of you know, high stature. You know, I'm not coming off like that. I'm just talking about the maturity of Timothy. It's so beautiful. Not really in the text, but subtextually speaking, you see, it's like, wow, this is so beautiful how the Lord works. Let's look at verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. I have this highlighted in my verse, you know. I'm not going to, you know, suggest you highlight this in your Bible. But for me, this is my highlighted verse. One of them. One of my highlighted verses. One of my favorite verses. About that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. And it's so beautiful. It blesses my socks off. You know why? Because the people of the way, they're making gains, spiritually speaking. Souls are being saved. But on top of that, souls are being protected. On top of that, it's not without opposition. Demonic. Sometimes it's just carnal. Sometimes it's doctrine against doctrine. Jew against Christian. Gentile against Christian. But regardless, there was a great commotion. <laughs> it's so cool. I love this. You know, I like a good fight. Carnally speaking, I like a good fight. You know, before I was a Christian, I used to like fighting. You know, and then uh, as a Christian, I like fighting. You know, like I watch boxing, max, uh, boxing. You know, mixed martial arts. I watch that stuff. Tech, I like the tacticality involved. Just the strategy. What I really like is seeing like the disadvantaged fighter. You know, the underdog, so to speak. Maybe they have, you know, a couple pounds lighter. Maybe their reach isn't as good. You know, maybe their build isn't good. Maybe their weight is in their legs and the other guy's weight is in their arms and their tries. And, you know, they're really agile. Maybe they're well-skilled in a certain uh, doctrine. Fighting, speaking, speaking, you know, uh, you know, the doctrine of fighting. 
And, you know, you see the underdog and you see like how he like maneuvers, how he moves and how he counters. You kind of see thinking like right during the match, you see his thinking. And I love that because you see strategy, strategy development, even while getting punched, even while getting kicked. You know, you take a roundhouse to the face and like all of a sudden it's like you're rocked for a second and you have to respond. You know, when you're in a fighter, when you're in the cage. I like that. Me personally, I like that. It's, it's, I just like the strategy involved. And, you know, I like the punching involved too, the kicking. But the same exact thing applies to us in our faith, in our walks with Christ. The exact same thing. Because you're going to take kicks as a Christian. You're going to take punches as a Christian. Maybe like literal, you know, depending on, you know, who hates you because of what you say, what you stand for. But you're definitely going to take hits. Definitely. As surely as the Lord lives, you will definitely take hits. If you don't, something's wrong. Something's wrong if you don't. You know, when the world comes against you, that's a good sign that you're on the right track. It's a very good sign. Let, the, let it be said of you too. That there, there, let there arise a great commotion about your own witness. Some people will hate you. Some people will love you. Hate you because you stand for righteousness and love you because you stand for righteousness. That's the fellowship of the saints, the body of Christ. That's why I love verse 23 so much. Fighters, warriors, in the faith. I mean, you know, when I say carnally speaking, you know, I, I like watching a fight, a good match, a good boxing match, especially boxing because there's no legs involved, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a weapon. You know, it's, you can use your legs in a certain capacity, you know, distance, creating distance. But I mean, it's like hardcore strategy involved. It's just punching, you know. I mean, there's other aspects of it too, but for the most part, punching. You see the strategy behind it. But the same thing applies in our walk with the Lord. When you take the punches, when you take the kicks. And you see the church in the book of Acts responding, you know, punch here, kick there. And how they respond, how they counter move, how they counteract. All led by the Holy Spirit. Unafraid of a fight. These people of the way in the book of Acts, they are straight up warriors. Fighters. I love these people so much. You know, I used to think Stephen, you know, when I first became a Christian, I read the account of Stephen. I was like, what? I didn't get it. I was mad at the church. I was mad at the Bible. I'm mad at the Lord. Like, why? What? How, how does this happen? Why didn't Stephen fight back? Why didn't the church fight back? Why didn't they, you know, call their friends and throw stones at these other people? Why? Why, why isn't there no, you know, saving Stephen? But I was a young believer at the time. I didn't understand deep spiritual things. Today, I read that account and I see the bravery and toughness and courage of Stephen. When he takes the hits, when he turns the other cheek, when he says, Father, forgive them. Don't, don't hold this to their account. Just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you see this self-sacrifice in a brother or sister, these are special people. When you see brothers or sisters saying, oh yeah, let's beat them up. Oh yeah, let's shoot them. Let's, oh yeah, let's do this. When you see that, it's like, okay, there's some carnality there. But when you see a brother or sister say, you know what, this, he's lost. He doesn't realize what he's saying. 
she's lost. She doesn't know, you know, let's, let's stoke the fires of compassion. You know, still standing in truth and not, you know, wavering in our stand for Christ. But let's turn it around. The enemy likes to stoke these fires of anger. The enemy likes to stoke this flame of anger and rage. But what happens when you don't let him? And you turn it around. Having compassion on the one who punches you. Having compassion for the one who kicks you. Had they known truth, if these punchers and kickers known truth and yielded to the truth of God's word, they themselves would be considered a brother or sister. And you can have compassion because they're lost. They don't understand these things. You know, the Lord had this compassion. Stephen had this compassion. Paul has this compassion. He says, man, for my countrymen, he, you, you see why his, his custom was to go into the synagogue. I mean, he didn't mind the fight. He was equipped and ready for it to persuade. But you see, you know, he longed for his brethren, his countrymen, to come to Christ. Even so, he says, I would be anathema from Christ if my countrymen could believe in Jesus. That's hardcore. That's self-sacrifice. And you see that in certain brothers. You see that in certain sisters. These are very special people in the fellowship. Because they can teach by witness. So when I say that there arose a great commotion about the way, and I say that they're fighters, they're warriors, they're not, I'm not saying that in a carnal sense, like they're beating people up. But they're still fighting in the spirit. And then opposition. Let's look at verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith. He's a businessman. Demetrius, the business guy. I'm a business guy too. I kind of like, you know, aspects of business. I'm a capitalist, you know. Cap Christian capitalist. You know, not capitalist like, you know, crony capitalism. Or capitalism that forgets all these people. You know, I'm a capitalist in terms of the uh, 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 free markets. I have a strong admiration for free markets. But then, you know, this business guy, he's, 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 he's chose his path. Demetrius. So I like businessmen, businesswomen, but this guy, I don't like. Let's look at verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana. Now, Diana, that's the, that's the Roman name for Artemis. Artemis is the Greek name. Fertility goddess is what it is. The goddess, you know, you see all these statues all over the place. Well, one of them is Diana. You know, I mean, if you look at like, you know, uh, one time I was in New York at this museum. And you see all these statues. You see the statue Artemis here, you know, and you see all these statues. And it's like, wow, you know, it's like my, my Bible. I read that in the Bible. And, it's cool. and they were like the actual statues which were on loan from Greece. And, and so it was on loan and it gets shipped all over the world. It's like, these are the real ones from like 2,000 years ago. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. This is like. You know, did Paul, I wonder if Paul looked at this statue. I wonder if Paul did this, you know. And you know, it's not to like, you know, gawk at the statue. But in my mind, I think like, man, I wonder what the crowds were like, you know. And so I'd re reference these passages in Scripture and be like, you know, the, the people would worship her. And like, I see Paul, you see all these Christians. And it's like, wow, what, what Ephesus. It's like so beautiful to see these things. You know, not the statue, but I meant, you know, to reflect on the Word of God. 
And look what happens here. It says, you know, uh, um, uh, so Diana is the Roman name of Artemis, which is the fertility goddess. Uh, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So, you know, it was the moneymaker. Demetrius, you know, the businessman, you know, the, the, the silversmith. That was his moneymaker. He made these shrines, shrines to Diana. And, 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 and you know, they were, they were, he was mad. All oh, these people, these Christians, these people of this so-called way. He was mad at them, people of the way. Remember, there was a great commotion about the way. And Demetrius was mad. He was straight up incensed. Look at verse 25. He called them together. So Demetrius called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. So that was, the, you know, they were in this industry, you know, uh, 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 silversmiths. But then at the same time, you know, they, they made money. They made a lot of money by making shrines of Diana. And this is what he says to the, his, his fellow workers, his uh, uh, similar occupation workers. He says in verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many people, saying that they are not gods, that they are not gods which, which are made with hands. See? But throughout almost all Asia. Remember what happened? A couple verses, what we studied last week. A couple verses in the past. There was the book burning. The scroll burning. Look at verse 19. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Which translates to, you know, 10, you know, in modern day, if you look at it, it's 200 men's annual wages. So if you have annual wage of like, uh, say, 50000 I don't know what the average wage is, but you say 50000 60000 somewhere around there, average speaking, you know, times that by 200 men, it's a lot of money. Think about all the people who made books back then. Think of all the bookmakers, the store owners who sold sorcery books, or maybe somebody would buy bulk books, you know, buy like 100 books. And then go around and turn them and walk around and sell them. That was their business. But what happens when the demand is gone? Because of the way. Because of Jesus Christ. Revival. You see, a spiritual revival. A lot of people talk about revival and revival is a beautiful thing. But it's not manufactured. It's not manufactured at all. You know, you look at the old school revivals and you know what happens when there's a real revival of the spirit in a city? The bars go out of business because nobody's drinking. Uh, you don't see the drug dealers on the corner because nobody's taking their product. You don't see strippers like strippers. They, they, the strip club starts closing down. The adult bookshops start closing down. All, all, all the things that, it, that culturally that, that demoralize a culture. They start to go out of business. Bars, drug dealers, strippers, all the sex trade, prostitutes. You know, they're coming to Christ. People are coming to Christ. The Holy Spirit is like moving. Do you remember in um, chapter 18, uh, in verse 10, when the Lord told uh, Paul, I am with you, Paul. He says in verse 10, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. You see, and this is a different region. But I mean, you know, look at all the people like in, um, um, 
Elijah, when he thought he was all alone and the Lord told him, Elijah, there's 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. What about the Christians around you who maybe are silent Christians? They're afraid to come out of the closet, so to speak. What about the ones who the Lord knows their heart is soft enough to receive Jesus Christ but doesn't know the Lord? These are people who don't know the Lord but their heart is like fertile soil. Who will tell them? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of your stand. If a great commotion, you know, if there's a great commotion about you and your witness, praise be to the Lord, you're in good company. You know, oh, I don't like, I don't want this person to hate me. You know what? Tell them before you, before you, and this is what I do. I always tell them, look, I want you to hate me. I'm going to tell you something and I want you to hate me. Okay. Put all, take all your hate and put it on me. Do not put it on Jesus Christ because he loves you. That's kind of like, you know, <laughs> greasing the skin, so to speak, prepping a heart, softening a heart. And then boom, you just lay it out there. You don't have to do it meanfully, you know. Don't do it like, you know, out of anger. Just tell a person, look, this isn't right before the Lord. I love you, and you know what? If you want to hate me, that's fine. Hate me. Make sure you hate me. But don't hate Jesus Christ. He's the one who wants me to tell you. And then you flat out tell him. A great commotion will rise about you. But you're in good company. So look what happens here. In verse 26, moreover, this is uh, uh, Demetrius. He's telling all his uh, uh, tradesmen. You know, uh, uh, moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded to convince by argument. And not argument like argue. It might have got elevated, you know, a little heated discussion. But it's to convince by argument and turned away many people. A lot of people say, you know, the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. A person has to choose. A person has to choose. Never forget that because there's this teaching. They go, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. No, you know, look what happens here. Paul is, you know, he's, uh, he's convincing by argument, persuading people to believe in Jesus Christ. And a person for their own soul has to measure you know, they have preconceived notions about whatever. They're the ones that have to make a choice for their own soul. Old Testament and New Testament, everybody has to make a choice. Just like Joshua says, you know, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. You know, the Lord doesn't make them robots. He, God's not in the business of making robots. He makes people and people have to choose. And so, you know, all, throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people. I mean, carnally speaking, you look at that as a bad thing. You know, if, I, you know, if you're a hardcore business guy, if you're a hardcore capitalist, you're like, oh, out there, Paul, he's putting these people out of business. But as a Christian, wow, praise the Lord. You know, look at what the, the book burning that happened in verse 19. The books of sorcery, you know, they're going out of business. Praise be to the Lord. Look at the, the Holy Spirit moving. Convicting the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. And he's at work. And you see Paul and those with him, they're his, the, the, the God's fellow co-workers, just as he explains to the church in Corinth. 
Some people plant, some people water, but God gives the increase. And he talks about being God's fellow co-worker and fishing for souls, being a fisher of men. But think about what that does to the industries. That's what real revival looks like when the strip clubs go out of business. Strippers become Christians. You know, and then all of a sudden you see, uh, you know, guys, they become Christians. And you see a former stripper and the former uh, 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 patron, you know, they get married, you know, and they live righteously for the Lord. And then they become, you know, they go in, they, they mature in Christ. And this former stripper can go and, you know, talk to other strippers. Like, oh, you know what? I used to do that too. But it's a dead end. You know, you go home at night, you know. Yeah, you count your money or you go home in the morning. You know, you count your money and yeah, you had a good money, but you, you feel like dirt. You feel like garbage. Because look how you made this money. Yeah, I felt that too. But look at what the Lord did. This is what Jesus Christ did for me. Look, let me show you pictures of my family. This is my husband. These are my beautiful children. And God can do the same thing for you. Or you look at, you know, the alcohol stores. You know, liquor shops, liquor stores. All these people go in. An essential business, so to speak. So-called essential business. People go to the liquor store. Oh, yeah, get tanked. You know, buy your stuff. Look at the business owner making money. Yeah, making money off this. Yeah, go ahead, drink some more, making money. Yeah, drink some more, making money. You know, making money off of certain dependencies, it's like, wait a second, you know, that's... That's not good. So when I say I'm like a capitalist, I like the free market. I like the free market, but, you know, I want people to be free in Christ too. Not a slave to sin. So so yeah, yeah, you know, so what happens with revival, a real revival, all these industries start to shut down. The bars start to close, you know, the the drug dealers start to close, you know, the, the pot shops start to close, the strip clubs start to close, and people come to Christ. But what does that say about the business owners? The business owners are going to be mad at the Christians. The business owners are going to be mad at the Pauls, the Timothys, the Erastuses. Business owners are going to be mad because, wow, they're hurting our bottom line. They're impacting my wallet. They're impacting my ability to, you know, achieve high assets. You see, and these are people, you know, sometimes business people, you know, they have connections with, you know, city officials, sometimes state officials, sometimes federal officials, because, you know, depending on what kind of business, what kind of industry and, you know, how big their business is, you know, they have a lot of say. They talk to congressmen, they talk to uh, senators, they make a phone call and the senators, you know, they, they make these pleas in Washington, congressmen make these pleas for, you know, budgetary pleas. In Congress, and then finally, you know, they say they get twenty twenty million dollars approved, twenty billion dollars approved for a, a highway highway jobs, this you know highway rebuilding or bridge building or whatever it is. And guess who gets the contract? The friend of the senator, the friend of the congressman. So these business guys have a lot of clout. They have a lot of say. Some of them, you know, you get the lower echelon too. But sometimes they have clout with city officials. Sometimes, you know, higher echelon, state officials. Even higher echelon, federal officials. 
what happens about the people of the way. A great commotion about Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, you know. There's, there's a great commotion. You know, Thanksgiving dinner, all these family members get together. Everybody says, okay, whatever you do, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. You know what I say? Talk about Jesus Christ. He's like every, fi- every fiber of my essence. It's Jesus Christ. You know, there's a little bit of me in there too, but the Lord's, uh, you know, he's, doing, he's, uh, he's not done with me yet. He's not done with you yet. When he's done with you, you're going to be dead. Same way, I'm going to be dead. That's when he's done with you. It's like, uh, my mind is occupied by Jesus Christ. It's like, I can't sit at a Thanksgiving dinner and be quiet about Jesus Christ. You know, so I have to say something. And, you know, if it rubs somebody the wrong way, so be it. You asked me, you know, something. Cousin asked me. Uncle asked me. Aunt asked me. I'm just going to answer. Oh, what's your opinion about this? Okay. Let me tell you. Let me tell you my opinion about abortion. <laughs> Pass the potatoes, you know. It's so cool how this, you know, don't, don't be quiet about the Lord. Acknowledge the Lord before men. You know, being wise too. And so look what happens here. This Demetrius, he's making his case with his fellow workers, fellow uh, uh, craftsmen. You know, turn many people away. He's still in verse 26, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. It's true, biblical truth. They're not gods, they're idols. Hey, Demetrius, you're in the business of making idols which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And you know, you want to come against the church? You want to come against the people of the way? No, the Lord is against you. You need to repent. Surely he's heard the message. The message, the, the, Christian, the, the, the message of the gospel was going all through Ephesus. It was just blowing up like crazy. But it's not without opposition. Look what happens here. In verse... 27, so he's still speaking, this business guy, Demetrius. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, it's just low demand. I love this because he's the business guy. He understands these concepts of demand, supply and demand. He's the supplier and he's feeding the demand. You know, look at uh, uh, um, pot shops. Yeah, there's a demand, an essential business. Here's the demand. And who's the supplier? You know, look at the liquor stores. Yeah, there's a demand, an essential business. Who's going to supply? Look at the, the rise of sexual deviancy. There's the demand. Who are the suppliers? Who's the business, so-called business guy, the disgusting sicko that's going to recruit these young women? Yeah, you can. Make, I'll give you a good job. Yeah, I'll give you a good job. I don't pay minimum wage. This is how much I pay. And on top of that, this is what you can make in tips. You see, luring a young girl into this life of being a stripper. And because there's love of money, a girl says, wow, you know what? I like the stuff in life. I want to get a fancy car. I see my friends. They have these little, you know, $500 beater uppers. I want to pay cash for a brand new Mercedes. I want to pay cash for a brand new, you know, whatever. And they do. But look at the business they're in. And you have these predator business, so-called business guys. Yeah, come work for me. Sickos. It's business. Supply and demand. 
But there's such a thing as a dirty business. Dirty business practices. When I say this as, you know, a business guy, I, I, I like the aspect of the free market, free market system. But, you know, people say, oh, well, that's the free market. What do you say? No, that's the bondage market. I don't like the bondage market. I like the free market. So, you know, this uh, Demetrius guy, he understands supply and demand quite well. Carnally speaking, he's, you could look at him like, okay, he's a business guy. Nothing wrong with it, but there's plenty wrong with it. This is a form of opposition against the Christians, against the people of the way. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. You see, kind of, he reveals his own uh, leanings, his own tendencies. Great goddess Diana, her magnificence. Wow, Demetrius, you've already exposed a lot about where your heart is. You know, revival, spiritual revival, it confronts the world. That's a real spiritual revival of the Holy Spirit. The bar shut down, the strip club shut down, the pot shop shut down. It's not manufactured. You see, everybody talk about a revival. Oh yeah, there's a revival over here. Really? And that's just looking with our eyes. That's just looking with our eyes at like, you know, these businesses that start to go, you know, belly up because there's no more demand for these things. But what about what happens in secret behind closed doors? People on the internet. People with their phones. People with their computers and dirty websites. I don't think Satan is threatened by the church. Honestly, I don't say that to, you know, the church, it's the bride of Christ. I keep saying the bride of Christ, but I got to start saying we're the bride of Christ, but not yet. You know, the marriage hasn't happened. The marriage is a future event. You know, we are engaged to Jesus Christ. Future speaking, you know, long term, we are the bride of Christ. But the marriage hasn't happened yet. In the pool of the... Engaged to Christ, there's the foolish and there's the wise. Who are you going to be? Don't be foolish. I don't want to be foolish for my own self. And I don't, wanna be, I don't want you to be foolish for your own self. I want us as a body of Christ to be wise in these last days. Because darkness, I could, you know, I, just five years ago, two years ago, I could say darkness is coming. But you know what? Darkness is here. And we have to let our lights shine. We have to turn on our lamps. Foolish virgins will run out of oil. Wise virgins have plenty of oil. You have to be selfish with your oil too. It's not for, you know, it can't be shared with anybody else. It's for you. It's for your lamp. It's very important as we enter these last days. And so look what happens here in verse 28. Now when they heard this, They were full of wrath and cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You see, all these other business people, all these other business people, they're like, wow, Demetrius, you know, you're right. We're your fellow craftsmen. We also make shrines to Diana. We also fashion all these things, you know. Maybe some make it out of wood. Maybe some make it out of, 
uh, uh, iron, maybe some make it out of silver, gold, I don't know, copper. But you know what? This Demetrius guy, he's right. And they were mad because look what happened to our other business guys, our friends that make books. They're out of business. They can't feed their families anymore because Paul caused these Ephesians to burn their books of sorcery. So our other business friends, they're out of business. They can't feed their families. They have to move. They, instead of living in a nice part of town, they got to go to the poor part of town. Or they got to live in a, a van. How evil these Christians are. You see, that's, the, that's a carnal mind. When you put things in this perspective and how the church impacts the world, then you could see why there, there was a great commotion about the way. Because the Lord is at work. Hardcore. People were coming to Christ. Denying, you know, 10 to $20 million value of books being burned. Not sold. Not, not given to goodwill. Not donated to whoever. Not given to... Burned. Take $20 million. Take $10 million, the low, the low figure. A pile of cash, $20 million, set on fire. That's what they were doing. If you take the monetary value of these books of sorcery, that's what they were doing. Carnally speaking, you know how stupid that is? Worldly speaking, do you see how stupid that is? Spiritually speaking, do you see how beautiful it is? You're cutting off the demand, cutting off the supply. The Lord cut off the demand by the work of the Spirit in people's hearts. In response, the people were like, you know what? I don't care that this is values. I don't care that this pile of books is $10 million. Let's burn it. Because it's teachings that are contrary to the, the Holy Word. Teachings that are contrary to Jesus Christ. Who cares about the money? But these business people, they cared about the money. And they were mad. How dare these Christians, you know, impact our, our bottom line. You know, the bookmakers, they're living in a van. You know, they go from the rich part of town, now they got to live in the poor part of town. I don't want that to happen to me. So you know what? Let's find these guys. Let's find these guys. You see what happens here? Like in verse 28, they're full of wrath and they cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now their motives were revealed. And that's what happens with motives in people. Motives are often revealed. Uh, they, they often reveal the gods that are worshipped. Remember verse 27? It's like, but the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. You see their motives? It's money driven. And you know, money driven and worship driven. Not worship unto the Lord. Worship unto the bottom line. And worship unto Diana. A lot of times people will put up a front with you. And they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, you know, let's do this. It's pleasing for whatever. You know, carnally, that's what they'll do. You won't know it. But the Lord knows motives. 
And the Holy Spirit will protect you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit, when you have ears to hear and eyes to see, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, don't believe the words of this guy. He's poison. Don't believe the words of this lady. She's poison. The Holy Spirit will direct you. The Holy Spirit will protect you. But you know what? Not a lot of people have ears to hear and eyes to see. You ever see, you ever have like weird feelings about, you know, my wife, she's, ex, she has like these like super sensors, super, super sensors that I don't have, you know, I'd like to, but I have them vicariously through my wife. She'll say like, hey, you know what, you know, be careful with this guy. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And then like a week later, like, man, I should, I should have been more careful with this guy, <laughs> you know? Or like a month later, man, I should have been more careful with this guy. And, you know, my wife meets a guy for like two minutes and she's like, yeah, be careful with this guy. I'm like, man, you know, a week later, a month later, like, man, I should have been more careful. It's so cool how, like, maybe it's like a female thing. I don't know. But, like, they have these super sensors. Praise be to the Lord for husbands, you know, because you have these helpers, you know. And it's so cool because, you know, it's like, you know, the body working together. You know, in a marriage fellowship, but then also in a church fellowship where a Christian can go alongside another Christian and say, hey, you know what? I know you like this guy. I know he's cool and you want to be cool. I know you're kind of nerdy and you want to be with the cool kids. But you know what? Be careful of them because they're also crackheads. You know, they also do these things. They're party animals. And you're a Christian. And then the kid has to make a choice. Wow, do I want to pop, be popular and be considered a cool kid? Or am I content with where I'm at? You know, a choice to make for young the, the next generation of righteousness. They have their own battles to fight. The next generation of righteousness has their own choice to make. But it's very cool how the Lord works and certain people have sensitivities to, you know, certain sensitivities that are protective mechanisms. Not in a bad sense, but in a beautiful sense. It's how the Lord works. It's how the Lord teaches us these things. And so let's look what happens here. In verse 29, So the whole city was filled with confusion. Translates as riotous disturbance. Remember, God is not the author of confusion. You know, Satan is. He doesn't mind confusion. You know, God is not the author of confusion, but Satan is the author of confusion. And so look what happens here. The whole city was filled with confusion and rushed rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's, Paul's travel companions. These are people who had joined with Paul, joined and cleaved unto Paul. And you see Gaius and Aristarchus, it's like, wow, this is like, they're just, they, they just joined to Paul. They're like fresh believers. And they get, they're seized by the crowd. Oh, no. In verse 30, when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. So Paul had, you know, he was not concerned with his own safety. He was concerned about the safety of Gaius and Aristarchus. But the disciples, they were like, no, Paul, you can't go. They're going to kill you, Paul. Remember these threats on Paul's life? They weren't a, a, a strange thing. The disciples wouldn't let him. I think this is so cool because Paul, he has no concern for his own safety, but the others were concerned. You see a picture of the body of Christ. As one, one body, many parts. 
Gaius and Aristarchus. And they're, you know, with the crowd. So now they're the subject of, you know, the, the subject of uh, a discourse here. This business people, they arouse the, this riotous crowd. Now we can't get caught. We can't find Paul, but we know these guys were with him, Gaius and Aristarchus. So get him, grab him, get him over here. Verse 31, then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends. This is, uh, you know, God's favor on Paul. Friends of, of Paul sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So Paul had connections himself. Remember, he, he was in the business too. He was a trader. He was a tent maker. And he would go and sell. That's how he made money. So I don't know how, you know, he had these connections, how they were made. But in his, in his exploits, business exploits, and, you know, unto the Lord too, sharing the good news, he had connections. Don't forget the city official that was on the island. You know, where the Lord gave him favor and the, the city official came to Christ. We just read that a couple chapters ago. So, you know, a lot of things were happening. This is like a straight up battle of Satan and the Lord for souls. You see this spiritual battle. And so look what happens here in verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Very interesting. Because, you know, in these days that we live in today, there's riots. Riots all over the place. You know, riots in one city, riots over here. And you see these people in like, you know, the not the mainstream news, but you see all these people, like little... Uh, 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 citizen reporters, so to speak, they go and they question the question the people, you know, like, you know, why are you doing this? Oh, or social injustice, all these things, you know, equality, this. It's like, well, why are you tearing down this statue of an elk? You know, why are you tearing down the statue of a deer of an animal? What did they do to you? And it's like, there's just, they don't even know what they're doing. That's what's it's the same thing, you know, nothing new under the sun. There's the repetitive nature of human events. Nothing new under the sun, what Ecclesiastes tells us. It says in verse 32, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. You see, there's just a riot. Not knowing their purpose, they just want to riot. In verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude. Now, a little commentary about Alexander. There's not a lot written about Alexander. But there are other Alexander mentions in Paul's writings to Timothy. And it's not exactly clear if it's the same Alexander. I mean, there's no like, you know, pinpointing this is the same. Me personally, I believe it's the exact same Alexander. So they drew out Alexander out of the multitude. But let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This is Paul, you know, his letter to young Pastor Timothy. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This is straight up like a military campaign. It's not like, you know... Uh, you know, join the military. It's join the military because you're going to go to war. It's like the straight up, it's on. You're going to fight. 
It says in verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. So faith can be shipwrecked. He says this in verse 20, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. You know? It's like, I used to wonder all the time, you know, why would, why would Paul write, commit a brother to Satan? He said it to the church in Corinth. Take this brother and, you know, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Well, he does the same thing with Alexander and Hymenaeus. For the destruction of the flesh that they might learn not to blaspheme. Now, it's not exactly clear if this is uh, 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 the same exact Alexander. But me personally, I believe it is. Very interesting, especially when you see Paul with Timothy, what we read in, in the book of Acts, in our passages in the book of Acts, and what Timothy experienced with Paul, and how Paul is exhorting this pastor now, Pastor Timothy. He's exhorting him, you know, like, hey, you know, are these people, your faith, you have a good conscience, you have faith, a good conscience, but these other people, they've suffered shipwreck, and I've committed them to Satan. It's like, wow, is this the same Alexander? I don't know. I believe it is. But it's not, there's not like nothing pinpointing saying this is the same Alexander. I just think he is. This is why. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 14. 14. Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith. That's a biggie. Because remember we read about all these business people in, in, uh, in Acts, Acts 19. You know, Demetrius' friends. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him. For he has great, greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me. That's why, you know, when Paul was arrested, he was alone. Nobody was with him. In my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it, be, may it not be charged against them. You see, Paul, his love for the church. You know what? I'm not going to hold it on them. You know, maybe they didn't want to stand with me, but whatever reason. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were succumbed by fear. It's part of the human condition. May it not be charged against them. So I'm saying, Lord, you know, don't, don't hold this against them. If I, have, if I have to stand alone, so be it. Look what he says in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You see, so beautiful. You know, when you're standing alone, you open your eyes and you're standing alone. Open your other eyes. Open your spiritual eyes because you're not alone. Jesus Christ is with you. When there's a great commotion about your witness because your witness is Jesus Christ, screams Jesus Christ, and no one wants to stand with you, no one is standing with you, you're not alone. Look at, look at verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So we're going to go back to Acts, but hold on really quick. Let's look at verse 19. Greet Prissa and Achilla. <laughs> I love that. It's Priscilla and Achilla. Remember they, they sharpened uh, 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 Apollos in the previous chapter in our study in the book of Acts? Priscilla and Achilla, except Paul, he has a little slang name for the, for the woman, for the wife. Not Priscilla. He says Prissa. Greet Prissa and Achilla. I love this. Beautiful husband and wife in Christ. You know, sharpeners. Just like they did with Apollos. 
so beautiful how you see these things. You know, you fall in love with these people in the book of Acts, and then you read the epistles, you see these names, and it's like, wow, I remember them. So beautiful. They were also tent makers. So now let's go back to the book of Acts, Acts 19. Verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude. So I have reason to believe that the, the Alexander, which we read in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, is this exact same Alexander. It says, out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. So this is how it plays out, you know, and this is... I can't with specificity say like this is precisely how it played out, but you know, I can say that this is how I think it did. Uh, Alexander was receiving of Paul. You know, yeah, I'll listen to you. You know, I'll listen to what you have to say. And maybe even accepting of the things that Paul had to say. But in time, something happened in his heart. In time, he didn't endure the race in time he did much harm to paul you know alexander was a popular name it could be a different you know it could be but i tend to believe that it's the same paul is warning pastor timothy about this guy hey be careful with this alexander guy you know he made his choice in first timothy paul's first letter he says i you know i i I committed him to Satan that he may learn not to blaspheme. And in 2 Timothy, he says, look, you know, he chose his way. He's done me much harm. He's done me much harm. So let's look at verse 34 now. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's what they shouted. You see this. It's kind of interesting. We live in a day and age where rioting is po- is, is popular. And then, like, you see somebody try to reason with them. I saw this this old old uh, African-American guy. You know, he was like a historian. And he was standing at the foot of a statue with this bullhorn. And he started to say, like, teach, give like a little history lesson of, like, look, this statue that you want to tear down. You know, this was a, like, a, 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 he freed the slaves. You know, he was in the efforts to free that he was trying to give like a little a little lesson like you guys are doing this all you, you got your history wrong and you know what they did they shouted him down and he had his bullhorn they were so loud that they shouted him down but this is what, that's what's happening here great is Diana of the Ephesians no reasoning you know in the last days people are going to be so straight up low co crazy crazy you know why it's a form of judgment because they have no love of the truth. It's a form of judgment. You say, well, that's kind of hardcore. That's kind of mean. Why do you say that? Well, I don't say that. It's written. Well, I mean, I say it, but it's written. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It's all preparation for the coming of the Antichrist. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Not wonders. Lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. I have to tell you, truth hurts. Truth is painful. Because you have these preconceived notions about whatever. Fill in the blank. Whatever. 
All aspects of life, all aspects of society, all aspects of the world, all aspects of politics, fill in the blank. You have these preconceived notions about whatever. And you open up the Bible and you start to read. And the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, is confronting you with your preconceived notions. You know what you have to do in yielding to the Lord? You're the one who has to change your convictions and deny those things and align with the Word of God. That's having a love of the truth. Do you know what happens when you don't have a love of the truth? You'll get warning. Warning one, warning two, warning three. I don't know how many warnings. All I know is that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. Especially now, you know, it's not like we have to go to the library to have a Bible. They have free apps. Bibles are in homes collecting dust. But you know what happens when people don't have a love of the truth? That they might be saved? Look at verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. You see? That they should believe the lie. It's a form of judgment. It's not to say that they like desire truth. It's to say that the truth is withheld from them. They're to believe the lie. It's like Pharaoh. The exact same thing happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, he get another warning. Pharaoh hardened his heart, another warning. Pharaoh hardened his heart, another warning. Finally, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what happens with strong delusion. Or that's what happens when there's no love of the truth. You have no love of the truth, you get a warning. No love of the truth, another warning. No love of the truth, another warning. Finally, God will send you a strong delusion. That's what happens. And that's what's going to run wild and rampant in the last days. Don't forget, a fall. there's a great falling away that's already happening. But it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It says in verse 12 that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the danger of not having love of the truth. And truth hurts. I'm the first to admit, truth is very painful. Because I, you know, I was a hardcore liberal back in the day. Hardcore liberal, you know. Whatever feels good, just do it. And all that implies. If it feels good, just do it. But the Lord saved me, you know, because He's gracious. By His grace, by His mercy, and by His love, He saved me. What a wretched creature I was. But He saved me. And it was difficult. It was difficult to have my, you know, ideas and concepts that I had nurtured through, you know, my teen years. It was very difficult. Because I, I wanted to hold on to things. I, I liked the idea of certain aspects of my conduct. I liked it, carnally speaking. But the Lord showed me the error of my ways. And praise be to the Lord. Because He chastised me to His loving arms. And I love Him back. And so today I yield to Him. And He's not done with me yet, you know. 
And I was like, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'm done. I'm done doing things my way. I'll do it your way, Lord. So he taps on my heart. Hey, what do you think about pastoring? <laughs> said, I want you to be a pastor. What? I fought with him for two years, you know? I say that shamefully because I should have never fought him. But I did fight him. I wanted to be certain, you know, that that's kind of a, that's my excuse. It's a true excuse. I, I don't know if it's an excuse, but I wanted to be certain. Like, Lord, this isn't a desire of mine. You know, my desire is to, you know, please you, be honor you. And so, you know, in prayer, and I can tell you, you know, I don't want to make this like, you know, a, a story about my life. But, you know, my prayer, every single one of my prayers were answered. Every single one of my prayers were answered. And it came back in the affirmative. Teach. And so here we are. Praise be to the Lord. That's how it works. That's what happens when you, meet, you have a love of the truth. You're a young baby in Christ. You have a love of the truth, a profound love of the truth. And you're in His Word. And you're yielding to Him. You have your preconceived notions about X, Y, Z. You yield to Him. And the Lord turns your X, Y, Z into A, B, C. And you're like, wow, you know, all of a sudden you're growing and maturing. And he'll say, you know what? I want you to teach the Bible. You know what? I want you to sing. You know what? I want you to do this. I want you to be a deacon. I want you to play music. I want you to do this. I want you to tell this guy this. Your next Thanksgiving dinner, you know, stand up for me. It's like, whoa. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, I will. And maybe there'll be a great commotion about you and your witness, which is Jesus Christ. So beautiful how the Lord works and how He teaches us these things and shows us these things. And so in verse 34, it says, With one voice they cried out for about two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Oh, we're back in Acts 19. I don't remember if I said that. But there's no reasoning with these people. They're straight up crazy. But it's a form of judgment, as you read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a form of judgment. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian? What man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Remember verse 27. The business owners, you know, uh, Demetrius said, Oh, the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. What does the world worship today? Fill in the blank. Diana and some, you know, the uh, uh, goddess of fertility and some. You know, it's all over. And so look what happens here in verse 36. This is culture. The, the Ephesian culture. We look at the, the filth of the Ephesian culture, the other gods of the Ephesian culture, the opposition in the Ephesian culture. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's dangerous. But there's a growing church. There's a budding church. You see how beautiful it is? You could look at any city. Any city, ugly, you know, like uh, drugs, sex, rock and roll, everywhere. The corner, there's drugs, 
The other corner, there's strippers. The other corner, there's alcohol. The other corner, there's more drugs. It's all over the place. But is there a budding church? And to pray for... You know what the Satanists do? They pray for areas. They pray for neighborhoods. They pray to Satan. They pray for oppression in their neighborhoods. Satanic oppression. Fight back. When you're in your, in your, your quiet time of prayer... Fight back. Pray for your neighbors. Pray over their homes. Pray for your home too. You know. But pray for your neighborhoods. Fight. Pray for your cities. Pray for your city officials. Remember, the church was praying for Peter when he was in jail, and you know the angel busted him out of jail. Peter goes knocking on the door, and they didn't even know it was Peter. They thought it was his ghost. The Lord answered their prayers, and they didn't even know that they were answered. I wonder if the same could be said for us today as last day's Christians. You know, if the Lord is answering prayers, we don't even know it. Praise be to the Lord, even if we know it or we don't know it. Praise be to the Lord because He's responding to prayers. But don't give up in the fight. Maneuver. You know, fight strategically. Fight on your knees. And so look what happens here in verse 36, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Remember, verse 29, guys in Aristarchus, Paul's companions, and, and Paul wanted to go and like, you know, say, hey, you know, these guys haven't done anything, you know. I'm the guy you want. But the other disciples wouldn't let him. They probably would have killed Paul. It's very dangerous for Paul. He said, no, Paul, you know. You stay here. So, verse 38, Therefore, if Demetrius, and this is the, uh, the, the clerk is still speaking, Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. So he's telling the people, let's not be rash, guys. You know, there's order for formal charges against you. If you want to bring charges, there's a way to do it. That's why you see all this lawlessness in the streets today. Lawlessness abounds. But remember, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. We just have to be wise. Very, very wise. Very incredibly wise. And fishermen. And that's what's happening here. The city clerk is saying, hey, you know, let's not be rash. Let's not do anything crazy. If you want to bring charges, you know, there's a process. There's an orderly process. This is a city clerk, you know, favor upon <laughs> upon uh, 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 Gaius and Aristarchus, you know, by a city clerk. And so look, but if, in verse 39, but if any, uh, if, but if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we, remember the city clerk is speaking, you know, in public. We are in danger of being called in question. Saying, you know, by this action, by this behavior, we might be implicated in this, you know, in, 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 in today's uproar, he says. Called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. And so the city clerk is like, hey, calm down, guys. This is getting out of hand. And he's, you know, bringing order to the situation. God's favor. In verse 41, And when he had said these things... 
he dismissed the assembly. I'm just going to read one verse from the next chapter. It says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them. Oh, I love this so much. You see, Paul's love of his lambs and sheep. Paul's love, oh, you know what? It's so cool. You know, I don't know who was there. Maybe it was more. Maybe Gaius and Aristarchus came. Maybe they were so freaked out. Young lambs. You know, Paul, I don't I don't think Paul minded death at all. He's the one who said to live his Christ, to die his gain. I don't think, it's not that I think he didn't mind death. I kind of think he had a death wish. Like he was so completely open to it. Wake up in the morning, okay, if I die today, so be it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I love that so much about Paul. But that's Paul. That's Paul. Maybe Aristarchus. Maybe Gaius. Maybe they were freaked out. Maybe they were crying. They were lambs. New believers. Maybe they were so afraid, like, oh man, I've heard that the crowds, they left Paul for dead. They dragged him out of the city and left for dead. Are they going to do that to me? And you see Paul, you know, guys, it's okay. I'm sorry you had to go through this. I don't know. But you see, he embraced them. The church, the disciples, all of them, the fellowship. Yeah, the city is dark. Yeah, the city had these, you know, strongholds of sorcery, wickedness, these things that are contrary to the word of God. But the word of God was still growing. The word of God was still growing, as is revealed in verse 20. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. An opposition arose from the business class. Because revival was impacting their bottom line. Could potentially threat their, their bottom line. So opposition comes from all shapes and sizes. It can be spiritual, like straight up like demonic. As we've seen, it can be from other doctrines, as we've seen. It can be from carnal people, as we've seen. That's what's so cool about the book of Acts. You kind of see like different kinds of fights. And I don't want to sound overly strategic, but you see how the Lord is guiding his vessels through it, navigating the waters in dark times. And while doing that, the word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing. That's what I mean when I talk about wisdom in the last days. And Paul embraces them and he departed to go to Macedonia. You see, in the last days, you know, there will be a great commotion about the way in the last days. Believers of all shapes and sizes across the globe. In Asia, in Russia, in the U.S., in Europe, all over the world, in Arab countries, there will be a great commotion. And the days are getting darker and darker, and the commotion is going to grow even more. It's going to get to the point where, you know, it could cost a life. It'll start costing lives. I mean, it's we're already at that point. But the Bible teaches us, you know, judgment comes first in the house of God. That's what the Bible teaches Me personally, I have to question, Lord, is the church experiencing your judgment? Are we living in a day, you see all Christian persecution, you see churches being burned down, 
And when I say churches, that includes Baptist churches, Lutheran churches, Methodist churches, and Catholic churches. And I'm not saying Catholic Roman Catholicism are considered, you know, right doctrine. But if judgment comes first in the house of God, what is the form by which the Lord cleans house? Look what he did to Israel. Look what he did to Judah. When a temple of the Lord started introducing these other gods, bringing these other gods, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to bring in the Assyrians. Okay, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. You see? He even says, Nebuchadnezzar is my vessel, is my servant. Because I'm using him to chastise you. I'm using him to bring judgment upon you. So when I see in the news all these you know, churches being burned down, Protestant, Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, yeah, I, I take, Catholic, take Catholic with a grain of salt because that's just Vatican I, Vatican II are completely unbiblical. And you see these statues being, you know, they're coming after these, you know, so-called Christian statues. There's no such thing as a Christian statue. It's idolatry. But I see these statues fall. I wonder if, Lord, is this your word coming to life right here, right now, in today's day that we live in? Has judgment come to the house of God? Has judgment come to the Christian in all Christendom? Could be. If that's the case, judgment in the house of God is precursory to God's judgment on the world. It's it's what the Lord uses, like putting gold through fire. It's a refining tool that the Lord uses. You look at Israel before Assyria, look at Israel after Assyria. You look at Israel, uh, Judah before Babylon, and look at Judah after Babylon. Yeah, it was a long period of time. But look at them after. Look at the refining that happened with Israel. I mean, compare Israel pre-Babylon to Nehemiah, to Ezra, to Daniel, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a different Israel. Because they were refined through chastisement. That's what's going to happen in the church in the last days. And I can't say we haven't hit that yet. I mean, I can't say it has not started yet. Because maybe it has already started. People are going to adhere to their Dianas. Whatever it is, whatever form of Diana they have. Goddess of fill in the blank. God of fill in the blank. Sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards. People are going to hear, adhere to these things. But be a fisherman still. Because among those people, there might be one. There might be one that will let go of their Diana, whatever it is. There might be one that's going to let go of their golden calf. Let go of their Diana, let go of their golden calf, and hold on to Jesus. And we can rejoice as five wise virgins. We can rejoice because the marriage is ahead. It's coming. 
as a future bride of Christ. In all things rejoice. Even in the hardships, in all things rejoice. We're going to end our study here and pick up in chapter 20. Lord willing, next week. God bless you. Love you guys.